0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger, definitely some disgust, and I think a little fear. But i'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety embarrassment envy and ennui (gasps) it's what you call the boredom okay that one was weird it's gonna be the feel everything movie of the summer disney and pixar's inside out 2 rated pg parental guidance suggested only in theaters june 14. get tickets now we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become?
1: Senua Saga, Hellblade 2.
0: Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, got a quick little poll for you today before we start the podcast. Question number one, are you on Instagram? I'll wait for a response. Question number two, are you following me on Instagram? If that answer is no, then click open your Instagram app right now, search for Ken Davenport and give me a follow. Got lots of cool stuff on there, including morning quotes to get you out of bed and up and Adam and all sorts of observations of mine throughout the day, from marketing to what I'm doing at workshops, etc. So follow me on Instagram, and now, on with the podcast. I want to be a producer, with a hit show on Broadway, I want to be a producer, we took it all. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. I am Ken Davenport, and recently I was looking through all the episodes we've done, and we're in the 140s, I think now, and I realized that we haven't had many costume designers on the podcast. So I wanted to rectify that immediately, so I got arguably the costume designer to come and chat with us. One of the absolute best in the business. Please welcome to the podcast six-time Tony Award winner, Catherine Zuber. Welcome, Catherine.
1: Thank you, Ken, for having me on your podcast.
0: So if I listed all of Catherine's credits, this episode would be about 13 hours long. So let me just list a few more recent ones. Warpaint, Fiddler on the Roof, The Father, Gigi, Bridges of Madison County, which I was on as a co-producer, Costa Utopia, and so on and so forth. So, Catherine, let's start out with this. Which came first for you, The Love of Theater?, Mm-hmm. Or the love of clothes?
1: The love of costumes and the love of storytelling came first through film. And once I started going to the theater, I fell in love with theater. I loved the experience of a live theatrical repartee between the actors and the audience, where you felt like you were all in it together. So once I started going to theater, it totally shifted to combining my love of storytelling with clothes, and theater became the number one priority for me.
0: Really? It switched for you?
1: Yes. I mean, I still love film but I worked on two films when I got out of graduate school but they were so terrible and so strange that I backed up and I said I would I would be interested in doing a film but I think it would need to be a film where the costumes uh, were an important part of the storytelling and many films are like that it's just that some films I think are more about just keeping track of who wore what suit in what scene and I think it's so much more exciting to know matter even if you are doing suits uh, with a show uh, like Junk which is so much about suits it's still working with the actors in that very special way where it is a live performance Uh, it takes on a very different uh, point of view.
0: So let's talk about how costumes assist in the storytelling give me any specific examples of any costumes that you've designed from any show that we chose this to help tell this story. Anything specific come to mind?
1: Let's see. Um, let's say maybe on uh, Warpaint, uh, where we had uh, Patti Lapone as Helena Rubinstein and Christine Ebersole as Elizabeth Arden. Michael Greif, who was our director really uh, needed for us to give the arc of the characters individually, but at the same time, they had to be in balance with each other because they had individual stories and they had stories that were parallel. So in a way, that was a challenge for all of us, for the writers and the lighting designer and the set, and for Michael and the performers, just to kind of track that that made sense. Now, I'm sure an audience member coming into the theater may not recognize sort of the manipulations we did with certain things so that we got a little extra information in the storytelling, but I think subliminally they kind of pick up on little clues that we put in when they look alike, when they don't look alike, when they're totally opposite, when they come together. All those things I think help the experience of of the storytelling.
0: So let's. You mentioned war paint, and you mentioned one of the joys of you for of costume designs is working with the actors. Mm-hmm. Now Warpaint, and you've worked with many big star. What is what is that like for you? When you know, it, do you have to adjust your design sometimes working with bigger stars, or what's that interaction
1: like? I feel that you adjust no matter whether it's a big star or somebody new to Broadway or to an off Broadway um theatrical event or regional theater or an opera, I think that it's always a mix of who is playing the role and uh, the design. And usually we have to do the designs in advance before you know who's going to play the role. In the case of Warpaint, we knew it was Patty and Christine so we could design for them. A lot of times you don't know who's going to be in a certain role and you may come up with a group of designs and then when you meet the actor and see what their talents are and what works for them, you know, you need to make adjustments so that um, that they the combination of who they are and the costume comes together to create the character.
0: This is what's so fascinating to me about costume design because the other design elements... ...don't have that interaction with the talent in the same way.
1: Well, in a way, like, for instance, the props are very much uh, an important part to an actor. You know, how does the chair feel when they sit in it? Is it too high? Is it too low? Should it have arms? Shouldn't it have arms? You know, all hand props that they handle... But it's not as direct, absolutely. And with costumes, where we're doing head-to-toe, where we need to work with the wig designer on what the wig is like, you know, hats, jewelry, footwear. Uh And in theater, you do see the performer head-to-toe, as opposed to film where it's a lot of close-up. In theater, you don't get the luxury of close-ups. You get a head-to-toe. So it has to be perfect, you know. Every little detail, you know, from the hat to the shoes has to be perfect. And also how an actor, with bringing up shoes, like how an actor walks, there's so many actors that feel, oh, these shoes really make me feel like the character. They say, no, these shoes are a little too soft or a little too hard. I want to be able to walk in this kind of way, and the shoe is stopping me from doing that, or the shoe is helping me do that, or maybe if the shoe were a little higher or lower, I'd you know, I'd have a different gait that would be better for me in terms of the physicality of the character.
0: It's, you know, it's something that I never really think about because clothes and wardrobe is not my thing, but how much costumes can influence a performance like that is oh, pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your process then. You you get a call from a director. I want you to design War Paint. I want you to design My Fair Lady, which I know is coming up. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing you do when you hear you're going to design a new play or musical?
1: I'm usually incredibly excited and can't wait to get started. <laughs> the first thing I do is uh, gather as much research as I can after reading the script, try to search out Images, be they photographs or paintings or illustrations or films or, you know, whatever could kind of help kind of marinate my <laughs> creative juices in the right kind of atmosphere to kind of come up with, you know, the um, the spirit of the world in which the characters are existing in. And, and then also meeting with the director and the other designers on, you know, the director's point of view how he sees um, the arc of the musical going. Right now, working on uh, My Fair Lady with um, Bart Shearer and Michael Jürgen and Don Holder, we've had so many meetings where it's like, you know, this is a beloved musical. And how, how do we honor all the parts of this wonderful musical that we're having so much fun working on? How do we honor all those parts, but at the same time, make it relevant to today's audience? And, and to bring new life to it. And I think Bart is so brilliant at that, In the King and I that we did together, and, and uh, South Pacific, and, you know, all the older musicals that we've done that I think um, he's, he's so great at uh, breathing new life into um, uh, people's expectations of what the musical can be.
0: You know, I once saw a costume designer. Are you sewing down in the workers' Like, how much of the practical knowledge of creating costumes does a costume designer actually have to have? That's
1: a really good question. I went to the Yale School of Drama and I thought I would be learning a lot of practical things like sewing and how to make hats. But uh, they didn't teach any of that on purpose. They felt what was more important that we knew how to communicate ideas to the director and to our fellow designers and have enough knowledge to communicate those ideas to the artisans and skilled craftspeople that are so expert at doing those things. So I do have a knowledge of how costumes are put together. I was an amateur sewer. I used to make my own clothes. They look quite terrible. I always said I had to be the costume designer because I was so bad at sewing. But... Um, I I do understand construction and what fabric works for a garment as opposed to another fabric. How how what fabric will move well, what fabric all of those things that come into consideration. I I have a, a good skill in that, but I am not the best person to actually create the costume. I leave that up to the wonderful art, artisans that uh, are so skilled at that. However, once we're in um, a fitting with an actor. The person that makes uh, builds the costume uh, usually makes a muslin, and that's an inexpensive fabric. And we look at the design on the actor, and we kind of then rip it apart and say, no, that doesn't look good on her. The waist should be a little higher or lower, or you know, maybe we need to build out the shoulders a little more or reduce them. And that's when all those sort of things happen as a collaboration with the actor as well, saying, oh, you know, I don't really feel good if. This sits on this part of my body in quite this way. Can it be moved a little We all collaborate together to get the right pattern. Then we take that pattern, and then we make it in the um, the actual fabric. And then we have another fitting, make sure all that goes well. So there's a lot of steps to it, to getting it just right.
0: It's quite a process. Yes. From, from that first bid of like, okay, here's we're going to have this costume design built by this shop. How long does it usually take for that costume to appear?
1: Well, um, in New York, a lot of the shops are quite busy. So I think they could probably do it in like two to three days. But usually they're so overwhelmed, you kind of have to wait your turn. You know, it's like flights taking off at Kennedy Airport. You have to wait your turn. So um, a lot of it has to do with scheduling and how much they have to do even for the show that you're doing. Sometimes if a shop is doing a large amount, they kind of sometimes do it piecemeal. So they'll do maybe all the corsets and all the petticoats. And then, you know, so you have to wait for them to get all those pieces together. If it's a leading lady, it's more individual or a leading man. Then they're kind of um get special treatment and it, it's done in a slightly different approach. You know, it, and it depends on how complicated the costume is. It depends um if it's an 18th century peignet skirt worn by a countess. It's very different than, you know, a 1950s house dress you know, worn by a Brooklyn house. You know, it's very different based on, you know, the actual costume itself, how complicated it is. And sometimes with costuming as well, it's not always about making a beautiful costume. It's about making an accurate costume. Sometimes the costume should not be attractive. It should be uh, perhaps a little off and not fit perfectly or because that's correct for the character. So sometimes, you know, it's not about making the most beautiful costume. It's making the most accurate costume. So most
0: people think of costumes as being beautiful, beautiful costumes. Look at how beautiful those those outfits are. What's it like when you have to design something that isn't pretty? Anything you've had to design that's unattractive on purpose, How, is that challenging for you?
1: I really love those projects and sometimes it's not, it's its unattractive it's its not particularly beautiful but there's a beauty in it's being unattractive. For instance we did a production of Awake and Sing that had a lot, it was set in the 30s and um, it wasn't uh, wealthy people and uh, also then we did Odette's Golden Boy. Again the people aren't particularly wealthy but there's something in, finding a mixture of maybe some vintage garments and then making some pieces because usually with vintage you can't find everything you need and you sometimes use the vintage garment as a sample and we'll make a new costume but it needs to look quite old it needs to look like it's been around for 10 years and the fabric is worn out and the tie is a little too shiny or maybe it's a little out of fashion and the shoes are you know should be thrown out but you know the character still wearing them even though they're quite fragile it's all those little things that go into giving a costume an amazing texture and interest but they're not it's not perfect it's not it's not perfectly beautiful it's got character maybe the sweater is mothy maybe somebody's trousers are hand-me-downs and they're a little too big or a little too short I love all those sorts of things where it's the imperfections uh, contribute to giving a character nuance and and interest.
0: So here's one of my actor's studio-like questions, my James Lipton-like questions. It's my Smithsonian question, which for you, this one's going to be hard. I want you to imagine that the Smithsonian calls and they have room for the costumes from one of your shows to put in the Institute. Which one would you say... You'd want preserved forever.
1: Oh wow, that's a very interesting question. Wow. you know, it's so difficult for me because in every show I have my favorites, and by saying which would be the favorite, I feel like I'm dismissing so many others that I re- and I like different costumes for so many different reasons, um, some because they were made beautifully, or I love the combination of costume and the performer. Was such a positive experience or...
0: What's an example of one of those?
1: I would have to say uh, Patty LuPone in uh, War Paint. I just love working with her so much and she really um, and and the person making the costumes uh, it was his he's retired now he's gone and he moved to Mexico never to be heard of again he's done with New York but he's a he was a brilliant Broadway costume maker costumier, I guess uh, He ran Yoco costumes and the last shows he did were hello Dolly and more Paint and that's it. Uh, after a very long career. Uh, so the combination of Werner making um, Patty's costumes and, and Christine's, having that experience was quite special. And, but what was particular about Patty and Helena Rubenstein is that Helena Rubenstein was so eccentric, and Patty just went there. It was like, I need more. I want this to be tighter. I want this to be bigger. And we had a wonderful jewelry designer, Larry Verber, who made all of her jewelry based on the actual images that we had of the jewelry of Helena Rubinstein. Patty just said, no, look, she has like so much jewelry on. She's all this jewelry on at once. I want more. And so just kind of the fun and the enthusiasm of everybody that was working on creating the character of Helena Rubinstein was a very special experience.
0: How much has technology changed in how you design? Do you design the same way that you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, as you do today?
1: I would say I would have to put that marker pre computer, and Photoshop. What's great about now is that if a director doesn't like a certain color or wants to see something in a range of colors, with Photoshop, we can adjust the color, and show it a little darker, a little lighter... Uh, sometimes it's very important for me in the sketches I do to get the right expression on the face of the character. And, and I spend so much time on that, like, no, no, he looks too angry or too young or too old or, you know, there's always, so once I capture that face, what's great about Photoshop is I can, I'm giving away all my secrets. I can use the same head on different sketches from the neck down if I capture the right expression. So things like that make it easier. Also distributing information. Now, you know, with Dropbox, you put all your sketches in the Dropbox and you can send it out to everybody and everybody can see what's going on. That's fantastic. Uh, But I... Do sketch uh, everything by hand. It's all painted by hand. Then it goes into the computer and we mess around with it. But it still is very artisanal. This morning, I'm working on this wonderful project, uh, Moulin Rouge, and we had a meeting at 8.30 this morning. And
0: 8.30 on a Saturday morning, a snowy Saturday morning, a six-time Tony Ward <laughs> winner getting out of bed, and I just love it. I love it. Yeah.
1: It's because rehearsal was starting at ten thirty, and um, we have some wonderful uh, producers from Australia, and they're here for a limited amount of time. So this was the only time that matched up. So that's why it was at eight thirty. But it was just so great to have this meeting. And Derek McLean is doing the set, and we were, you know, it was it was a great meeting. And then I knew I had this appointment with you at two. So you know, I was just sitting at my desk with the snow coming out, and I was blasting my music and sketching. And, and I'm just so happy when I'm doing that. It's so much fun to, to sketch and to, and to feel like you're kind of... Uh, speaking of My Fair Lady, I guess it's like Pygmalion that you're creating a being. Yeah, you're, you're contributing to creating a being by kind of conjuring this image of a character.
0: As you... Meet young designers, or as you even notice how other designers are doing. Is there anything that you think technology, today's technology, is hurting the process of design, whether it's in costume or, or um, any of the elements?
1: I think it's um I think it's very dependent on uh, how it's used. And on uh, Moulin Rouge, I'm working with a young designer, Wilberth Gonzalez, who's quite clever and he's very very good at uh, the internet, but he uses it in a very very intelligent way where he uh, is able to seek out wonderful images and research but also just having the knowledge I mean I think with any tool you need the knowledge as well as the tool if you just depend, I think what's damaging and I know I've talked about this with people that are educators in theater is when people think that's the only answer is, You know, going on Google and putting something in, whatever pops up, that's your world. And there's so much more than that. There's so much wonderful research that might not make it into Google. And also there's publications uh, that are beautifully curated. It's the way somebody will put a group of ideas together in a book visually visually. And that can be so inspirational. You will never get that by just going to an image bank like Pinterest or Google. You know, it's the fact that someone that put together an amazing book on a certain topic can be so inspirational. You know, a book of a wonderful photographer, wonderful visionary, or just perhaps a photographer's point of view of a certain geographical location will be so inspiring. Just to use the Internet, you would never come across that. In my, in my opinion. Not that that's, I mean, I love and I use all those tools myself, but I think they need to go hand in hand with, you know, the undiscovered or it's the serendipitous discovery that may not, you know, the old book in an antique bookstore that may not have made it to, you know, the image file of Google or Pinterest, only other services that are available.
0: How do you see costume design changing over the next 20 years do you see any trends right now of how either directors what they're asking for from designers like yourself Um,
1: i think that uh scripts are being written much more like films so there's many different scenes so i think that that is having a big impact on how we produce costumes there's so many more quick changes there's quick changes within a scene you know it used to be oh they need a new costume you know in every scene now it's like even within the scene there's quick changes and i think it's uh partly because of the way the audience is used to looking at things it's more rapid fire a lot of it is economical if you have a great ensemble team you know it's more economical to if you have great people you know within a scene they can become different people really quickly that's great for everyone and for the bottom line i guess i also feel that with lighting the LED lights kind of can do different things to the fabrics and the colors. And I know now when they first came out, they were quite harsh and I'm very close to a lot of lighting designers and they've I'm always asking them, like, what's going on with these LED But they have been now improving them, and they're so much more softer. If you want them to be softer, they can kind of replicate the older style lighting if you need it to do that. So I feel that that's kind of balanced out a little more. But when they first came out and bleached everything out, I remember you would, you know, have a white shirt that needed to look dirty and, uh, and used and worn. You know, normally you dip it and then you spray into it and do all sorts of things to make it look used. And it look brand new. And finally, it would almost need to be, you know, dark gray for it to look like dirty white. And I was going like, why is this? Ha-? You know, it's like, oh, no, it's the new lights are kind of doing different things to the way the light is bouncing off the fabric.
0: And you've touched on something now, which is something I had to learn when I when I got started in the business, which is everyone thinks costume design, oh, They have to design beautiful things, they have to design things that look like the character, but there's also a very practical side to what you do, right? Because you have to design things that come off quickly or go on quickly and are worn and laundered eight times a week.
1: Exactly. The biggest concern is the longevity of a costume. That um, it does need, I, I mean, it's so. I'm kind of used to it now, but I remember when I first started uh, working in theater, and you spend, you know, you, you fall in love with the costume and, you know, the fabrics and everything. And then you go backstage and it's a run, and there's this, like, amazing costume that you love, like, tossed in a laundry basket, <laughs> shoved in a corner. You know, you go, wait a minute, that needs to be. but. That's the way it needs to operate. When a show is running, things just get tossed, you know, quickly. And then later on, they're hung up. And the wardrobe crews do a wonderful job keeping things looking really nice. But while the show is going on, you just need to do what you need to do to keep it moving. And hats as well. Like on uh, War Paint, we had some feathers in hats, and they were just, you know, weren't making it with all the quick changes we had. So we had to kind of make fake feathers out of felt and. Leather, so they look like real feathers, but they weren't. So they could kind of survive. I was going to make a pun about war and war paint and what the hats went through, but I wasn't. I'm not clever enough to come up. <laughs>
0: right. Here's another uh, Smithsonian-like question for you: What's the favorite design of a show that you haven't designed? What's a costume design that you've of a show that you've seen that you're like, oh, that's that's some good stuff up there.
1: I would have to say that would be a film. Um, I'm a big fan of the films of Fellini, and there was a film that came out in the 70s, Casanova, and I've always felt that those costumes were absolutely stunning and strange and theatrical and evocative of a time period, but also very modern all at the same time. Another film that came out right about the same time, equally stunning was Barry Lyndon. I just find that film, I saw it again recently, about six months ago, I just find to be perfection, um, just beautifully designed and and perfect from beginning to end. So I think it's it, those are the two, and I think those were the films uh, what I mentioned earlier that were filmed. That's what drew me into this whole world was, was the brilliance of, of how um, creating a film or a theatrical piece could um, bring an audience member uh, into another universe and and another world
0: and those film costumes talk about different from theater they're used for that shoot they don't have to be ever used again. no
1: exactly so they can use a lot of Things that are, you know, if they were, they can use actual garments or they can be made, you know, on very fragile fabric and they can take forever to put them on because it doesn't have to go on quickly. It was interesting. There was a production at the Metropolitan Opera, uh, Anna Boleyn. Uh, about five years ago, and the costume designer's a brilliant woman from uh, the u k that's an historian and she wanted all the costumes to be put on in a historical way where you know it wasn't even like never mind a zipper, it all had to be laced in sleeves laced up and it was almost like just seeing the wardrobe grew like, "Oh, I don't know about this <laughs> I don't know if we." Can. I don't know how long this is going to last, you know.
0: But this is one of the reasons that, to answer a question from my dad, actually, why costumes are as expensive as they are, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's not just about, oh, that beautiful dress. It's that beautiful dress that lasts eight times a week, that goes on quickly, that fabric.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, when you think about High-end garments, sometimes I've been asked to get, you know, a glamorous gown for someone, maybe where it's modern dress, and you go to see, you know, you go to Bergdorf's or Saks or Barney's, the usual suspects, and you look at what those high-end garments cost. They cost a lot more than it costs to make costume. So I do think that, it, you know, yes, is a costume more expensive than, um, Going to H&M? Yes, of course. Absolutely. But, you know, you do get what you pay for. And, um, I do think though, sometimes it's nice to do a mix. Sometimes there are things that you can find that are, you know, off the rack in some way. And sometimes they can be better because they're made more durably and you can replace them much more easily um, if, if they need to be replaced from wearing out so I think it's um, a little bit of a mix of sometimes things that you shop things that you make things that um, are vintage. you know it's all all of it can kind of come together to create the final illusion I mean, sometimes like for the jewel for jewelry a lot of times we just go to these really um, inexpensive jewelry shops that are down. On Broadway below 30th Street, and there's another batch of them on 6th Avenue between um, 35th Street and 39th Street. You know, really inexpensive bits and bobs of jewelry that can look quite stunning. You know, you just rejigger it, put magnets on the back, glue some of the things down, and it looks great. So it's, I think it's knowing where to how to spend the budget you have, where to put your resources, where you need to make something durable. You know, it's it's all a matter of that judgment on what to spend money on and and what not not to waste your money so you can have you know that really amazing costume that may be a little bit overpriced. I think you've earned that if you find that you can get great shoes from a vendor in California that sells vintage shoes for you know one hundred and twenty five dollars rather than making custom shoes. So I think it's all you know a balance.
0: Okay, my final question, which is my genie question. I want you to imagine the genie from Aladdin comes mm-hmm. to visit you Uh-huh. and is ready to grant you one wish. What's the one thing that drives you crazy about Broadway? You seem to love what you do so much, which is I just love. You're up at 8.30 in the morning again at a meeting on a Saturday. <laughs> uh, so what's the one thing, though, that makes you angry, that gets you upset, that would have you pounding on the tables, that you would ask this genie to wish away? The one thing about Broadway that drives you nuts, that you wish was better.
1: Well, there's some secret things I wish were better that I'm, I can't tell you.
0: Wait until the microphone is off for those. <laughs> but I'm getting a couple of those out of you.
1: Wow. I always find it really heartbreaking, whether it's a show I've worked on or a show someone else has worked on that's been a great show and they just can't keep the show running. I find that really heartbreaking because usually you know, there's great people in it, great people working on it. And, um, sometimes it just doesn't capture the imagination of the public and it's just not selling the way it should and it has to go away. So maybe if there was a genie, they'd maybe, you know, every show could that was worthwhile have more of a chance to be seen.
0: A very fitting answer coming from you with a wonderful, positive attitude for everybody. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for everything you've done for the industry on and off the stage. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will see you next time. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram. Just search for Ken Davenport on your Instagram app and click follow. See you there.